The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I do want to thank Pastor Lytell for uh, giving me this opportunity, and um, I appreciate everything that he's done for me. I, um, I know that even through all this that, uh, you know, he's really cared about me. It's not just about filling a position, but, you know, even if it doesn't work out, it does or doesn't, I can tell that, you know, he still wants the best for me, and, and I appreciate that. I really do. Thank you, sir. And uh, I do know that I've met a lot of you, and I said this uh, earlier this morning, and last time I was here, a lot of you introduced, and I may not have remembered you, but I figured something out about the church here, that I have three names that'll help me out, Tom, Bob, and Bill. (laughs) And if I get one of those three names, I got about a 50-50 chance of remembering your name, so I really do I really do. I'll try to get better at remembering your name. I'm trying to get a few stick to stick with me, but uh, I have learned that. That's good. That's easy. That's good. But, uh, you know, today's Mother's Day, and I do appreciate my mom. She's not able to be here today, but I do appreciate her. She works really hard, and I appreciate that. Um, took on another job um, to help me with my school bill, and I appreciate that. But um, if you would, turn your Bibles to Psalm 78, and I'll give you a little testimony before I get started. I did grow up in a Christian home, and um, I did have parents that, that uh, took me to church. I went to Christian school my entire life, and that was a sacrifice for them, and uh, that's something that I've never forgotten, and I've actually appreciated more now than I did when I was in it. When I was in Christian school, I told everybody, no, I don't want to go here. I want to go to public school. I want to go to public school, and, uh, you know, that was one of the worst things I could have said. I didn't realize it, but I went through my whole entire time at high school, and I told everybody I was saved. I wasn't saved. I, um, you know, I was like uh, this missionary down here. He said he can't even remember when the first time he heard about Jesus and God and, and death and that, you know, if we reject God, we're going to spend eternity in hell. And that's exactly what, where I was at too. And I couldn't remember that. But even through all that, I still um, rejected God, rejected his plan throughout my entire high school life. And, you know, that's to my shame. I'm, um, I wish that wouldn't have been the case. But after I graduated high school, 
I went to our youth group. It was kind of the last thing I was going to do with the youth group. And they drug me along to camp. I didn't want to go. I really didn't want to go because I wanted to work and make money. And, but somehow they dragged me. They dragged me over there. And um, I wasn't planning on getting saved. I was planning on getting saved someday. Someday. I'm sure we have a lot of procrastinators in here. I'm a procrastinator myself sometimes. Sometimes. And, but, um, you know, that was something that I was procrastinating. I was like, you know, maybe on my deathbed. I'll accept Christ, and then, you know, I'll be saved, and, you know, just always putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And finally, the third night, God had been working in my heart um, a couple nights before, you know, third night, the preacher, he wasn't even preaching about salvation. I don't even know what he was preaching about, but I know that the Lord was speaking to me, and he was speaking to me about being saved. And I was one of those people that, that I was too embarrassed to even come down front um, to the altar and get saved. So right after the service, I grabbed my pastor. I said, I got to go talk to you. I was crying, weeping. Went out, went to a different building, and um, I got it right. Got saved. Best decision I ever made in my life. My life has never been the same. And God worked in my heart as a young person right at the end um, of the time when I was going to be making really big decisions in my life. And I truly feel that if God had not, if I had not trusted Christ at that time in my life, that um, I would have maybe had a lifetime um, without God, and I'm um, just thankful that he gives multiple and multiple opportunities. I'm very thankful. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight about um, what God has placed in my heart and something I see a need um, for in America and in the world. And if you want, we're at Psalm 78, and we're just going to read the first 12 verses. I know that's a lot. It's a lot of verses, and um, I tend to, whenever anybody reads passages in the Bible, I tend to just drift off and not pay attention, but I challenge you to just focus with me here, focus with me, and uh, um, so you can get the most out of it tonight. It says in verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in, it, a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carried bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his, wonderful, and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. And Asaph was the writer of this, this passage here, and he was the, the head musician, head orchestrator, whatever you want to call it, for David and even for Solomon. And historians have said, and Bible theologians have said, that this passage was probably read at feasts, great feasts, maybe great gatherings, and it was because it was very important. You can see it in just the first verse, and I skipped over this. I read it about 
15 or 20 times, and I skipped over this verse. And uh, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And what he's saying here is he's saying, listen. He's saying, listen, there's something very important. He's giving a demand for attention. That's the first thing I see here is a demand for attention. There's something very, very important. Um, my grandpa, my grandpa, um, he's with the Lord now, but uh, when I was younger, I, I have an older brother and I have a younger sister. And apparently my mom tells me we were really bad kids, really bad kids. That's what I hear. I don't know. But that's what she says. And my grandpa, he was very soft-spoken. He never hardly said anything. And one day he came over to my house to, um, to see my mom. My brother was worse. Apparently he was twice as worse as I, as I was. That's what, at least that's what I say. But he went up to my mom, and he never said a word about anything. And he went up to my mom, and he said, Linda, if you do not do something about Ben, he is going to end up in jail, or he's going to kill somebody someday. And to my mom, my mom still, whenever she gives her testimony, um, she says that, that was a major turning point in her life. It was major. And I think to the same degree, Asaph is telling this to the people of, e to people of Israel, saying that this is so important, that it's so important that they understand this. It's life or death when it comes to this. And, um, you know, I'm, I like playing basketball, Soccer, I like playing basketball for sure. And and when I was in high school, you know, you think you're really good. You do think you're really good, and uh, I know how that is. You know, you come from a small Christian school, you're the best one out there. You know, your parents tell you you're really good. You know, oh, yeah, you can go to the NBA. You can go to the NBA, that's great. But, but when you look at the stats, that's when you really know. That's when you really know if you were, if you were uh, a good player or not. I had a buddy in high school, and... We were getting smoked. We were getting killed one game. And we go back to the locker room. He had been shooting the ball quite often. And, you know, we were down 20 or so points. And I finally look at the stat sheet, and I look at it, and it said that he had shot 13 shots, and he had made one basket. And it's true. You know, you may not think that something is bad as it is, or you may not think you're as good as something. But once you see the stats, like, the statistics don't lie. Those stats did not lie that he was as bad as that's why we were losing. And I said, hey, stop shooting the ball. Stop shooting the ball. Just pass the ball to someone else. I don't care if it's me. Pass it to someone else. But the reason I say that is because the stats don't lie. You may, think, you may think that something's great and it's good, but it's not. It's not. And um, I just have a few statistics here about teenagers and young people. And it's something that really uh, spoke to my heart when I read it. And um, you don't really think about it, but it's true. But it's true. It says 75 percent of teenagers leave church after high school. 75 percent. That's a lot. Even just in my graduate class, luckily my graduate class, most of them um, are still in church now. Um, I'm the only one out of five that went to a Bible college, and I praise the Lord for that. But uh, they're still in church. But two grades before that, the last two or three grades, I know of maybe one person out of about 20 or so people that still attends church people that I looked up to. And that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. Um, it says out of that, it says less than 1% of young adults, young adults have a biblical worldview. I'll describe what that biblical worldview world here is in a minute. Um, and then it says less than one half 
of 1% of people between the ages of 18 and 23 has a biblical worldview. And these are just basic Bible doctrine truths. And this is what um, this website said. It said that their definition of a biblical worldview was that absolute moral truth exists. That the Bible is completely inspired and inerrant. That Satan is a real being and not symbolic. That a person cannot earn his way into the kingdom of God through good works. That Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. And then the last one is that God is the supreme creator of the heavens and the earth and reigns over the whole universe. And those are just basic things that one half of 1% of people from 18 to 23 believe. And that's sad. That's really sad. And, you know, I was really encouraged um, when I was talking to Pastor Lytel when I first came in con- contact with him. And um, he told me about the young people that had just graduated last year from here at Gospel and that had been in this youth department, and they completely defy these statistics. This is, this is, this is over the whole nation um, that these are taking place. But the ones he gave me was well over 75%. Um, I'm not sure the exact number, but well over 75% went to a Bible college and are still in church, and that's, that's amazing. Um, you know, they know these truths. They're, they're defying those, these statistics here. But, you know, the rest, of the rest of America, the rest of the world isn't. And, you know, that's something that, you know, we have to wake up. I have to wake up and realize that there is a need. There is a need to reach young people. Um, you know, many of the people that have been in churches um, like this and like mine back home, you know, they've heard of these great things. Later on in the passage, we see about God's wonderful works and the things that he did bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt all the way to Canaan. And we see um, what they did right, what they did wrong. And this passage was given just um, to show that history repeats itself and that this is a warning to those people not to, not to let that happen to them because it happened in the past, not to turn away from God. And the major theme we kind of see in this passage is disobedience to God. Even through God's faithfulness, we see disobedience. But the next thing I want to look at is, you know, the passing of knowledge. Read verse 3 through 5 again. It says, Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praise of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony of Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should not make that they should make them known to their children. God has given all of us responsibility of passing on the faith that we have to others. If you turn your Bibles over to 2 Timothy um, chapter 2, very common verse, verse 2. And at Crown College, this is one of the verses that they really try to drill into you because it is really important. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And it says, if you guys there, I still hear some pages turning. It says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The main thing we see in here is to teach others also. God has all given us knowledge of him. I assume for the most part that everybody in here is saved and they do believe in God. And if you are saved, you are a believer, you do have a responsibility to pass what you've um, known, that what you have, to pass that on to other to the younger generation. And we see here that in verse 4 it talks about that we are shown the praises of the Lord and that we are shown his strength, his wonderful works. Um, and you know, it says that we should not 
we have to determine not to hide those things to ourselves, but that we must take those and just show those to the younger generation because this entire generation is being raised up right now. And when I mean that, I'm talking about maybe 25 to 30-year-olds. And if you look around in churches, most churches, they're mostly filled with people that are 40 and older. And like the statistics say, the statistics don't lie. 75% of teenagers leave church. And if they're teenagers, they're probably not coming back. And they're probably not living the life God, God intends for them to have. And if they're leaving, you know, who's going to take the place when a lot of the people that are older, that have all this Bible knowledge and that are s- solid in what they believe, they have a biblical worldview, they're okay with all, they know these um, things that I just read about a biblical worldview, they have those things down, but this younger generation, half, one half of 1% doesn't even believe those. And we see here that in the rest of the chapter, if we go down to verse 13, here it says, He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made waters to stand as a heap. The rest of this chapter kind of gives examples of what um, Asaph was telling them to tell their children so that they wouldn't make these same mistakes. He was telling about Egypt, and that's a really cool story. Um, Since I was looking at this passage, I kind of studied it a little more and more. And it was just neat to me to see how it was really God that brought them out of Egypt. And when you really think about it, you think about the children of Israel. They were in Egypt. They were in captivity. They were in bondage. And worse than that, they were in bondage. And obviously they didn't want to be there. Who'd want to be kept in, kept in slavery? And so, but even to make matters worse, the Egyptians killed all the babies. They killed all the babies. And so now it was literally impossible, impossible for them to get out of Egypt on their own power. There was no way. There was no way of having it. And just to see God work through this, and um, we see how he delivered them out of Egypt when it was all him. It wasn't anything to do uh, with the Israelites. Um, and it was all God, all God's power. He raised up Moses to bring them out of Israel. And um, I just love seeing the relation between them coming out of Egypt and us when we trust Christ as our Savior. I think it's a beautiful picture of that. And when you think of sin, you think of um, someone that hasn't trusted Christ to save, they're in bondage, they're in this sin. And, you know, if we come over here and we think, okay, well, they're over here in Egypt. They're over in Egypt, and um, they're completely kept over in captivity and bondage. And I'm kind of over here by the piano because uh, my parents made me play the piano when I was a little kid. And to me, that was bondage, you know. That was, uh, that was terrible. But I still know a little bit, enough to get me in trouble. But, uh, yeah, that was bondage. That was sin. So I'm using this right here as an illustration. This is Egypt, this piano right here, okay? So we're over here in Egypt. We have no way. They have no way of escaping whatsoever. Um, They know that God has promised them something. And so here comes Moses. Raised them. um, They raised Moses up. And it was only by God's miracles and his plagues on Egypt that they said that, you know, that they could leave, that Pharaoh said they could leave. So um, they come, and they're free. They're leaving. They're going. And then they come to the Red Sea, the Red Sea, and that would be a scary thing. And then I'm sure way off in the distance, they can see dust coming up. They can see the chariots of, of the Egyptians coming back to get them. And how much of a terrible feeling 
that that must have been. That must have been heartbreaking. Um, can't even imagine. Can't even imagine it. But, and then so they're facing this great big body of water. I don't know if you can see on the, the map up there, but right on the edge of Africa, that's the Red Sea right there. And that's all that was standing between them and freedom and being gone. The Egyptians weren't going to get them. And if I was there, I probably wouldn't have had faith that, that God would have supplied a way. I wouldn't have myself. But God did provide a way. He spread the waters, and that was salvation. That was salvation to him. And it was by their faith going through the Red Sea on dry ground, which is amazing, that, that they were saved and they were in freedom. And they were on their way to the, to the promised land. And, you know, in our, in our life, Christian life, I was in that place. I was in bondage. I was in captivity. There was no way of escape. Dead in my sins. Already dead. No way out. But God provided a way. He provided a way. And even more miraculous than dividing Red Sea, he came down to earth. He died on the cross, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and buried, and the third day he rose again. And that's way more marvelous and wonderful than imparting the Red Sea. And that's just amazing to me. But he's saying here that this really did happen. This is a recorded record of history. And this is, this is not something that's not true. This is written in God's word, which is 100% true. Um, the thing that we kind of look at, and um, we had a speaker come to Crown a few weeks ago. His name was Ken Ham. He's a creationist, and um, he showed us about um, creation and um, trying to basically turn the tide of evolution and um, focusing on that creation really did happen. He said that even in Bible-believing churches, the biggest opposition that he has for creationism is not from people on the outside. It's people in churches that are arguing with Genesis 1 through 11. They're arguing Genesis 1 through 11. They don't want to believe it. They're, it's not science, but it is science. It is fact. It's the Bible. And just as God created, you know, if you can't, believe the first 11 chapters. That's why a lot of young people are falling today. They go into secular places, secular universities, schools, public schools. Hey, they may come on the bus. They may come on the bus and they're in church for an hour, two hours, three hours, but hey, they're getting 30, 40 hours of teaching of the wrong philosophy at their school. That's what's happening. And so they know that if they can discard the first 11 chapters, if that's not truly the Bible, like they say, then that cuts everything else down at the foundation. That cuts everything, everything that we believe. Next thing you know, we're going to be moving on to this passage right here. You'll see, how could God part the Red Sea? That's not, that's not possible. But it's a miracle by God. It's a miracle by God. And even, um, he said that that is even affecting what people say about the deity of Christ and um, that he's virgin born. And they're trying to cut that down at the evolution, but it is true. It is true. And God still works today in ways like this. You know, a Red Sea that, that I was going through in school last two semesters ago. I guess that was my junior year. Two semesters ago. Something big for me, which is probably not big for most of the people in here, was, was money. I had just enough gas. I donated plasma. Anybody know what donating plasma is? You know? A lot of college students do that to get money. 
And I did that for three years. Probably not the most healthy thing I've ever done in my life, but it would give me some money. So I knew I had enough money to go donate plasma and get a little bit of money from that and come back, but I didn't know how I was going to make it to work the rest of the week. I had no idea. And, and I didn't have faith that I would get it either. I didn't have faith, and I was discouraged. I was super discouraged about it. And I should just trust in God, but I didn't. A preacher from um, Indian Springs Baptist Camp, I don't know if you ever heard that. He was at, he was at our school for chapel, and just so happened um, he was walking by, and one of the teachers said, hey, Chris, why don't you go help him carry some stuff to his car? And so I helped him out there, and I kind of talked talk with him a little bit about I had just worked camp the summer before, and I talked to him, and, I, and he said, you know, he's like, I feel like the Lord just wants me to give you this. And he took a $50 bill out of my pocket, out of his pocket, took a $50 bill out, and, and he gave it to me. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. He's like, but if you ever quit the ministry, he's like, you owe me 50 bucks. That's what he told me. <laughs> but, but anyways, what I was saying was, and the, and the miraculous thing about that was that I never even used that $50. But I think that was God just showing me that I needed to have faith in him that he was going to supply what I needed. And, you know, that might not be a big thing to most people. That was a big thing to me. And that was God showing me um, through that. And um, we all have experiences like that. I bet if we went around the room, almost every person in here could, sh- could say something about how that God had worked in their life and that he had done something amazing. Next thing we see in verse 14, it says, In the daytime he led them. With a cloud, and all the night, and all the night with a light of fire, and that'd be kind of spooky to me, to being led by a cloud of fire, um, you know, at night and during the day. But you know, that was just God showing Himself that He was in it all. And there's things in our life that come up that that God is saying, just like what I just told you, that you know, God is in it with you, and He's guiding you all the steps away, and He's going to take care of you. That's what He's showing. But we're going to get to some verses here in a little while where we see, wow, God's really doing some work. Wow, he's really doing some good things. But they still turn away from God. And that's a, that's a strange thing. And then it says in verse 15, here we're going to read about one right now. It says, and he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great, out of the great depths. This is, like we already said, a chapter about not making the same mistakes as the previous generation. Because history tries to repeat itself. And it does repeat itself. So this is a warning, and this passage is talking about when Moses um, was in the wilderness and he was supposed to speak to the rock and to give the children um, of Israelite water from it. And this would have been me in the same situation. This probably would have been me. There was two different times where, he, where, he, where they got water from a rock. One, he followed God, and he spoke, and he spoke. No, I think he smote it. Yeah, he did. He smote it, like God said, God told him to, and water came out of it, and it feed, and it gave water to millions and millions and millions of people in the desert, because there were millions of them, not just a couple, but there was millions of them. And the second time, he disobeyed God. God told him to speak to the rock, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Why didn't he do it? I don't know. But he didn't. He, he struck the rock. And because of that, he wasn't able to go in the promised land. Just because of that one instance of disobedience, he wasn't able to go into the promised land. And we see that even though that God had proved himself to these people 
and to Moses that even though he had, they still disobeyed. And I'm worse than that. God, God will show me, just like I just told you about, that $50. I do the same thing. I doubt God all the time. I don't just hit it twice. I hit it 30, 40, 50 times. You know, I'm doubting God all the time. And Moses, just one time, he wasn't able to go into the promised land. And um, we just see that disobedience, even though that God shows us that he's faithful, um, that we can still disobey him. And it's a battle every single time. Um, Clarence Sexton, the president over at Crown, he um, has been saying something a lot recently. He says that we should be moving from victory to victory. Not victory, defeat, victory, defeat, victory, defeat. But that's what the Israelites were doing, and that's what we do as Christians. We go victory, defeat, victory, defeat, victory, defeat. That's what we see all the time. But God wants to go from victory to victory to victory to victory. That's what he wants. And God has given us all these um, things in his word right here. And let me tell you, the rest of the Bible is full of even more wonderful and more spectacular things. Even, even more than just this chapter right here. But God has given us all these other things in his word. And he has also given us things that have happened in our life, like that story I just told you. That's something that I should tell on to somebody else. Say, hey, I don't know what you're going through, but I know God's going to provide for you. He's provided for me. And that's something that we can each do for the next generation. They need to see that God is working, that God still does work. Does God, it's 2015, Chris. Does, does God still work? Yes. Yes, he does. Just, as, just the same as he parted the Red Sea and he gave the people water out of the rock and he guided them with a cloud. God still works today. He still does. And the, and the third thing that we see here is the forming of a child's faith. And verse 6 and 7 says that, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Asaph's saying here that we should tell the next generation because they're the ones that are going to come up and the children, and the children um, after them because... Um, they're the next generation. Obviously, something has taken place because um, we're still, as Christians, you know, we're in the 75% aren't going to church. And that's something that, that just speaks to me, that apparently something has happened. Something has happened throughout Christianity and uh, that, you know, people are leaving school. They're being swayed by so many different things. And it's important that we teach these biblical truths to our children and to the young people that are around us because they do need it. And I really like um, the next verse. It's verse 7. And I think this is one of the main verses here. And it says that they might set their hope in God. That's the whole point of this. The whole point of it is that they might set their hope in God. And if you do see that word, that word might. That doesn't say that they will. Just because you tell them and just because that you instruct them and you show them of everything that God's done, that they're going to believe. That's not what it says. But if we do our part, it says that they might set their hope in God. I have a brother. My brother, he's two years older than me right now. And uh, he, in high school, was completely opposite. He was the one that was always... Um, the stellar Christian. He was the one coming up on Sunday night to preach the eight-minute message for the teenagers. He was going on soul winning. I wanted nothing to do with soul winning. I didn't want anything to do with church. I was sitting in the back row, 
way, way in the back, didn't care, had my phone out during church, didn't care anything about it. But in somewhere along the line, it kind of switched. It kind of switched between both of us. Now he's, he's, he's messed up spiritually, and I, I hope you pray for him. If you would, his name is Ben. And um, he, really, he really needs to get his life back on the track, but he knew all these things. But still, he doesn't believe all that's in it. He couldn't, he wouldn't agree. He would agree with some of these things that I read to you about a biblical worldview, but he wouldn't agree with all of them. And the thing here is that, you know, we're just supposed to do what we're, we're supposed to do, what God has commanded us to tell other, to tell the next generation so that they might set their hope in God, that they might do it. And verse 9 and 10, 9, 10, 11, and 12 is, I think, uh, one of the really good points and really good verses in this chapter, really good illustration. It says, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle and kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his, and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous, marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers and in the land of Egypt and in the field of Zoan. I read a few things um, about the children of Ephraim, and they said that they had the most high-tech weapons, and it says they had bows here. They had the most high-tech things that they could, and they were supposed to go into battle. They had God on their side. They had God on their side. They were supposed to go into battle, but they turned. They turned in the day of battle and ran off. When I was coming in here this morning, I was telling some people, this isn't true, but I was telling some people that um, I got out of the car and I tried to run down the parking lot because I was scared about coming in here and facing all you guys. But I said, Nanny, Nanny ran after me, and she tackled me in the parking lot and drug me in here. But that didn't actually happen. But in a sense, that's what these people did. Hey, the day came down that they were supposed to do their job. They were supposed to trust in God, and they didn't. And I appreciate these, these folks here, these missionaries going to Argentina. I, I appreciate them. And, um, you know, they've been equipped with everything they need to go there and to reach those people. They know, they know the Bible. They know God's word. They're trying to reach these people. And they're not turning back in the day of battle. They're going to face opposition. They're going to face opposition. But I appreciate that you guys are taking the word, taking the word to, uh, to Argentina. And the whole thing, like I see with my brother, he had everything that he needed, but he turned back. He turned back. And I really... The message that Pastor Lytell preached this morning um, was really good about um, the narrow way and the broad way. The narrow way and the broad way. And I never really thought about it. It's like, why don't people choose the narrow way? I know it's a little, it's off path, but it's hard. It's hard, and that's what he was saying. He was talking about his motorcycle going along the dragon. That's what he was talking about, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's not always going to be easy. And that's the same thing with a Christian life. These people in Israel, hey, they were doing something different than everybody else, than the rest of the entire world. And it was hard. It was difficult. And it's easier just to say, hey, I'm going to turn back. I'm going to turn back. It's easier just to give into the things um, of this world. Why face the opposition? Why um, face the trouble of arguing with people about evolution, like I was talking about earlier? Why face the trouble of it? It's hard. It's difficult. Um, trusting in God can be difficult at times. It can be very difficult. And we see here in Proverbs 22.6, you know the verse, if a child in the way he should go when he is old, um, 
he'll not depart from it. And then there's a quote that I have here from, um, let's see, from Tertullian. And this is kind of a scary quote. It says, he said this, he said, Give me a child until he is seven, and he is mine for life. Give me a child until he is seven, and he is mine for life. That's a powerful statement. I love the verse that talks about having faith as a child, and that's what it takes. That's what it takes to believe God and to trust his word. And you know, maybe there's somebody in your life that, hey, maybe there's a neighbor, neighborhood kid that lives next to you. Maybe there's uh, someone on your bus route. I, I, I really enjoyed going to the bus meeting this morning and hearing uh, everything that was going on with there and how... Um, you know, hey, you may go out to your bus route and not one person show up. But that doesn't give you time to turn around and to, to run when there is trouble, when there is hard times, uh, like the children of Ephraim did in this day of battle. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're going through something that's hard and difficult. And you just need to trust God with it. And, hey, I'm getting married here on June 6th. I'm trying to trust God for that. I'm telling you that. I'm trying to trust God. That's something that I'm struggling with. You know, hey, it's scary. That's scary, I tell you what. Don't tell I said that. <laughs> but it's scary. All of us have been giving something. All of us have been given something that we can give to somebody else, we can show to somebody else. I would love to do what this, what this church had done, completely defy the statistics, defy the statistics of the 75% of teenagers leaving school. They say we're 20 years behind England. I don't know if you ever kept up with England or not, but they're in a spiritual low, low, really bad. I'm pretty sure it's less than 1% that go to churches. Churches are just... Closing down, being sold, turned into a ton of different things all the time. And they say we're 20 years behind England. And you know, you can see it if you really look at it. You take a look at it, you can see that. You can see the numbers in churches starting to grow smaller and smaller and smaller. But hey, there's good news. We have an answer. We have something that we can take to them and we can show them. And, um, you know, we just need to follow God and we can, you can change this community if you want, with God's word and with God's help, um, fulfilling great commission and changing this next generation to set their hope in God. Everybody that lives about us says tear that lighthouse down the big ships don't sail this way anymore There's no use in it standing ground Then my mind goes back to that stormy night When just in time I saw the light Yes, the light from the Stands upon the hill.
sea.